we pray. In Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are in verses 12 through 15 today. Um, it's a little unusual because it's kind of half of a paragraph. I usually like to take big, a whole chunk together, but there's a lot of uh, instructions that Paul gives us, and we're going to break it down uh, just a few verses here this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 15. Not, not too many weeks after my grandmother passed away last fall, I was talking with my aunt, uh, sister to my dad, talking about the family's decision that they would have to make about whether or not to sell the family farmland. Uh, and, and my aunt was anticipating some different viewpoints uh, among the siblings, uh, but she also reminded me of something that my grandma used to say. Sometimes you have to go along to get along. Now, how, how does that little piece of homespun wisdom strike you? you sometimes you've got to go along to get along. You might think, well, hey, so I, I have to sacrifice my personal opinion for the sake of family unity? Uh, you know, you can take that too far, don't you? I mean, you, can, you could use that to justify any kind of uh, injustice or, or criminal behavior. Sometimes you just got to go along to get along. We're not going to sacrifice what's right and good and true for the sake of avoiding conflict. But at this point, my grandma might say to me something like, y- you're not listening. I said, sometimes, sometimes you have to go along to get along. Like, like any proverb, you've got you to know how and when to apply it. You do not cover up safety violations at work to get along with your boss. Uh, you don't, you don't uh, go along with some you know, alcohol-fueled vandalism to get along with your poorly chosen friends. But sometimes, sometimes, the things that threaten to divide us are not worth more than the family, the community, the church. Sometimes. In our text today, we're going to see that uh, what it does and does not mean to go along with one another in the church and why it's so important for us to get along for Christ's sake. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. This is God's word for us today. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Devotion can turn into division, but we are called to follow Christ together for the sake of devotion and working through the division. Uh, but, it, but that's the reality. We're going to cover this uh, brief passage in three parts based on the direction uh, that the application is moving uh, toward leaders, toward brothers, toward uh, brothers and sisters, by the way, and toward everyone. So, part one, leaders. Give high regard to those who serve, lead, and challenge you in Christ. So, verses 12 and the beginning of 13, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you 
and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Pretty simple, right? Paul is uh, addressing the church as a whole. We ask you, brothers, again, understood as brothers and sisters, the whole church, all believers, men and women, and the action that he's calling them to, to verse 12, to respect, and then the parallel, verse 13, to esteem them very highly in love. Who, uh, who is it that we are to respect and esteem? Uh, it's the one group described in three ways. Those who labor among you, are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Not three groups, one group described three ways. And I refer to this group as leaders uh, because of that middle phrase, who are over you in the Lord. The, the Greek word translated over is not simply a matter of uh, hierarchy, uh, as if, well, there are a few elites in the church and the rest are down here. They're, they're underneath, they're beneath, you know, the, the important people. Not, not, not that, but... but but it is a word that has to do with position. I mean, think not just office, but actual location. Uh, it has to do with standing before in the sense of being out in front, uh, as in, let's all go this way, follow me. That kind of standing before being out in front. So it does this describe real authority, real leadership in the church, and, you know, we've, some of us, we've, we've got authority issues. It makes us, makes us a little nervous, um, you know, especially if we've seen people abuse that position. And that has happened. It happens. But notice right here in this one verse, if you're, if you're concerned about what, what, what are the parameters? We don't believe in absolute, you know, a, a pastor or an elder having absolute authority. What are the parameters? Well, we've got some qualifications right here in the text. First, it's those who are over you in the Lord. That means for myself, for Logan, the other elders, we don't have, again, we don't have absolute authority. We're not in like some cult living in, in some commune, and I'm telling you who to marry and, and, uh, and uh, what to wear and what to eat and how to spend your money. Well, however, where the Bible speaks to who we marry and what we eat and how we spend our money and what we wear, then I do speak, we do speak, those who teach speak with authority, but it must be with God's authority because we're speaking according to, if, if, and this is important, speaking according to God's word. Otherwise, you may be free to disagree and in some cases, disregard. Some of you are already, you're thinking about how this connects with our Sunday school class. If you weren't there, you're missing it. You're missing it. We, we had some really good discussion this morning about appropriate authority in government. And there's, wh where does the authority come from? What's legitimate authority? Legitimate authority for a pastor is when I'm reflecting God's authority through his word. Now, over you in the Lord puts another check on that authority. Because over you is not about power or privilege. A lot of talk about that, right, in our culture today. It's not about power and privilege. It's about responsibility. Now, you can think later about how you'd like to maybe see this in, in governing authorities. But here's, let's, let's talk about in the church. In the church, Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. So, they've got real authority. 
for or because they are keeping watch over your souls. Meaning, it's not just power, privilege, it's responsibility. I'm, I'm a shepherd. I'm responsible to care for you. I'm looking, I, it's not just I'm looking, I, I'm watching you. I'm watching, I'm watching over you. That's, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I'm not the top of the food chain here. And neither are you. We all have to answer to God, and I have to answer to God specifically about how I am shepherding you. So, don't be too quick to to want to be a teacher or an elder. James will say that. Don't, you know, not many of you should be teachers. Not, not, you might not want to be a, a shepherd, an elder. Um, that's, so, that's one qualification on the, the authority here, Right? Uh, we're over you in the Lord. One way he qualifies it. Another way is in the phrase that comes right before it. The, it's, bal- it's sort of balanced with the phrase, those who labor among you. Different preposition, right? We got over you and among you. And, but before I talk about that, labor. Labor means that leadership isn't simply about giving orders, issuing commands. Labor means uh, we work with you. Uh, here's First uh, Thessalonians two nine. We saw this earlier, just a few chapters ago. You can either flip there or just listen. First Thessalonians two nine. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So leaders labor and lead, they labor among you. Among means we don't get too focused on the over. It's both and. It's over you. Yes real authority, and among you should be humility. I, I, I love this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul says, not that we lord it over your faith. Again, that's moving from dominion, authority, to domineering. Not, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. That's a beautiful picture of ministry. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy as you stand firm in the faith. That's the kind of ministry, leadership, authority that we want to have in the church. That's what we want to model, that kind of healthy uh, relationship to the world. Here's one more thing that Paul mentions here in our passage, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. What's, what's, what's that? It's not a word you use, I'm sure. It, it would fall into, so got a big, big circle here. It would fall into the same general category as teaching, instructing. Okay, but now think a circle within a subset. Uh, within teaching, instructing, uh, it would be in the same subset as warn, correct, rebuke, reprove. Uh, to admonish. It can be defined as, uh, it is defined as, as giving counsel to someone uh, either to avoid a wrong course of action or to stop a wrong behavior. The fact is, admonish is a negative word that often stirs up a negative reaction, right? Uh, maybe because we've been, uh, you know, acknowledged, maybe because we've been a, a victim of unfair meddling uh, Unfair criticism. 
Maybe it's because we just don't like being told what not to do. We've got to acknowledge both. And again, this is, again, this really this fits so well with our Sunday school this morning. Sometimes the problem is the authority. Sometimes the problem is us. We have to acknowledge that. Instead of just the instinctive negative reaction, we have to understand the positive function for admonishing. What, what's, what's he getting at? We have to say no to what's wrong to say yes to what's right, to what's good, what's true. Uh, just think back through this letter. Just Particularly in chapters 4 and 5, the, the ending of this letter, Paul has been uh, teaching over and over again, highlighting how Christians are to be distinct from the world, to live holy lives uh, in your relationships, in your work, uh, and so on. Even in grief and loss, like we saw at the end of uh, chapter 4, we don't grieve as others do without hope. Or last week, uh, we look forward to the coming of Christ. Uh, We don't belong to the night. We belong to the day. So he's been setting these, these two very distinct paths, identities, purposes, and, and if, if you, as a believer, have, uh, in following Christ, you've left the world to follow Jesus, that means there are now paths that we must avoid, behaviors that we must stop in order to say yes to following Jesus. And sometimes it also means, as we live in faith, in community, sometimes we need, to, we need someone who loves us enough to get up in our face to tell us, no, don't do that. You've got to stop this. Turn around, come back, which is just ordinary language for repentance. Turn around. You've got to stop this. you got to come back. This is not the right way. It's not the way that leads to life. This is the way that leads to death. Earlier this week, Logan and I were talking about, about this, and he reminded me, of a, a movie that I'd seen a commercial before uh, for earlier this year, uh, a movie called Yes Day. Uh, I think it's on Netflix, but I'm not sure about that. It's about a couple of parents who, you know, they just think they've been too negative, um, and they decide for a whole day to say yes to everything their kids ask for. So I, I can tell a little bit. Some of you are understanding this is going to be a comedy. Now isn't, now, isn't that instructive? You, you know it's either going to be a comedy or a disaster movie. Um, th- th- maybe both in some fashion. Because you know it, doesn't, it just doesn't work. You can't, you can't just say, okay, yes day, everything's yes. Now, I, it's true. I might, my boys might be able to, to raise their hand at this point that some, sometimes parents do have an instinctive knee-jerk no. Or at least a, well, let me think about that, which means... No. Um, that, that's, that happens. But if you're a parent who can't or won't say no, you're a bad parent. And I'm not saying you say no all the time. I'm saying there's some things, sometimes you have to say no, and you have to have the guts to do it, to say no, because you love your kids. Because you love your kids, because you love your kids, sometimes you will say no. You have to. Don't go there. Don't do that. You've got to, this, you're doing this, but you've got to stop. You're going to hurt yourself. 
And some of those things, I mean, you, you're either going to kill yourself in a moment or, you're, or over time, you, your brain will rot, your, your heart will go sour, will go corrupt. Some things those need to be said. Pa- parents, pastors have to say that sometime. No, stop, don't come back. That's the positive goal behind this negative word of admonition. And then we understand why Paul has to remind these believers, respect your leaders, those who go before you, who look after you in the Lord. Uh, Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Or as I put it in the notes, give high regard to those who serve, lead, and challenge you in Christ. The question for, for me, for Logan, our elders and others who have responsibility to look after people spiritually, are we leading, laboring, and loving you enough to challenge you? Or do we use our position either at one extreme for a power trip or at the opposite extreme, we just fail to father you at all? The passive parent. The question to you as the congregation, are you ready to listen? Ready to follow? Ready to labor alongside for Christ? Is the church a a place where, where honor and love are shown to good and faithful leaders. I'm thankful to say it is. And I, I want to say, thank not, not just I'm thankful to God, I'm thankful to you. Thank you for being a place that loves and honors good and faithful leaders. And I think we, we continue that, I uh, pray, we continue that history of that when, we, when that's what we uphold, when that's what we encourage. Paul's next sentence, the end of verse 13, is, be at peace among yourselves. I'm actually going to save that sentence for a later point. For now, I want to highlight the link between the end of verse 12, those who admonish you, and the beginning of verse 14. Look there, picks, picks up that same thing. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So Paul continues to address the church as a whole, brothers, but it's about their ministry, their role and responsibility to each other. So this is part two. Part two is brothers. Build up your brothers with what each one needs to be growing in Christ. The first part was directed toward leaders. This is directed toward one another. Build up your brothers with what each one needs to be growing in Christ. Verse, this, this verse, verse 14, has become probably one of the most significant verses for me in thinking about uh, pastoral counseling but of course, it, it doesn't just apply to pastors. This is for everyone in the church. We all have the responsibility to look after one another, including admonishing, but it's much more than just a ministry of no. Now you've heard this, right? To a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Give a guy a hammer. Like, every problem you see, just needs, you just need to hit it. I got a hammer. That's a, that's a nail. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it. And so often, we, a lot of Christians think that the Bible is a hammer and that, you know, the people around them are nails and, and that need to be pounded. Uh, that's, <laughs> what this verse shows, among other things, is that people are different. Their problems are different. But, but just even, just before we get to their problems are different, just people are different. Think about that. Our personalities, our strengths and weaknesses are different. Our past experiences and our present circumstances are 
different. Uh, even our sinful tendencies and temptations are probably different. You're going to be tempted in areas that I'm not, or your history is different than not, your experiences, your, and so your reaction and response to different things are just going to be different than mine or somebody else's. Uh, your circumstances, whether financially or physically in terms of your health, are different. We're different, so we're, we're all dealing with all of these differences, and I presume that Paul could have listed any, uh, many more different kinds of people, but he mentions the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And just recognize they're not all the same. Idle, uh, laziness uh, comes to mind, of course, but laziness might not be everything that's going on here. In fact, if you're looking at the English Standard Version that, that I'm using, there's a footnote on that word, idle, and it says, or could be translated as disorderly, or undisciplined. So, he or she, this person here, the, the idol, is they're not going anywhere, or maybe they're going all over the place, but they're not getting done what needs to be done. There's no clear purpose, or direction, or uh, diligence, um, the, the, or persistence. They're just idle, faint hearted. This, is, this person's different. Uh, they may have, they may be more than capable to do the things that they need to do, what they ought to do, but they are, in this moment, depleted, discouraged, perhaps anxious or fearful. They, they, they could do it, but there's something that's, that's, holding, that's either holding them back or makes them feel that they, they just they can't do it. And and so here, here's the distinguishing, because faint-hearted could be, overlap a lot with weak. Weak, uh, this word, again, in the original, can refer, can refer to the physically ill uh, or disabled, and that might be come into play here. But, but more broadly, which I think is the focus, it can mean anyone with less ability, fewer resources, they don't, unlike the faint-hearted who may have all the capabilities, but they're either depleted in terms of their, their, uh, the, the way they're looking at things, or they feel like the obstacles are too big. This person actually does not have the resources. They, they, they don't have it in them to do. Uh, so, how do we deal with, uh, just even, not how do we deal with, back up, making sure we recognize that people are, are different. So as a pastor, as a brother or sister in Christ, if we see a fellow believer who's not in a good place for any number of reasons uh, or, or any number of issues, it might be that they need some admonishing. They need a spiritual kick in the pants or uh, you know, a bucket of cold truth in the face. Maybe. But if we don't recognize and respect the differences in people and situations and uh, circumstances and tendencies and temptations, we're not going to give them what they need. We could end up harming them rather than helping them. Now, I wish at this point in the sermon I could give you a foolproof uh, way to discern what category people are in, what kind of, where they're coming from. And there's a lot of times we might feel like, well, there's overlapping issues and things going on and I don't have to, I can't figure it out. And I, believe me, I'm there. Many times I've wondered, working with people, you know, have I, have I pushed them too hard? Have I not pushed them enough? 
Was, it, was that a little too intrusive? Maybe a little too hands-off? What, and and I'm sometimes changing my approach and uh, trying to grope in, in hopefully in spirit-led wisdom to what needs to be done in a person's life. But here's what we need to remember. There's no one-size-fits-all uh, to helping people follow Jesus. It's not, it's not one-size-fits-all ministry. Uh, if you're dealing with someone who seems to be aimless and undisciplined and just maybe even lazy, you need to challenge them, push them, confront them, remind them of their calling. Don't, don't just beat them over the head. Point them to, hey, this, you're made for more than this. God has something more for you that he is gonna, has equipped you to be, has called you to be. Let's go. Let's go. If you're dealing with someone who has lost their drive, their zeal, their joy because they're faint-hearted, you need to encourage them and maybe, let's go, is just going to pound them further into the ground or give them less hope, not more. You need to encourage them, help them to, to find the way to abide in Christ once again, to find his life in them. If you're dealing with someone who's weak, you need to help them. Okay, that's what the text says, but it's actually actually give them assistance. They're, they're just some things that, that they can't do alone. And just give, having these categories were, will help us, I think, so much in trying to help people follow Jesus. It's not just, you know, you coming in with the ministry of rebuke. Like, what's your, well, your problem is sin, and you just got to stop it. That might be appropriate. Hear me. But that's, that can't be, everyone is not a nail. And the Bible is not just a hammer. Sometimes you've got to know, sometimes, do I bring God's word as a hammer? Sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes you need to bring it like a scalpel. And sometimes, completely differently, you need to bring it like a cool drink of water. How are we, how are we bringing God's word, God's truth, God's life to people? But there's one thing that is appropriate for ministry to everybody. Be patient with them all. Why is patience so important? Why does everybody, like, okay, this person gets this, this person gets that, this person gets this. Everybody gets patience. Why does everybody need, get patience? Why does everybody need patience? Well, just like, we, just like we need to get rid of the one-size-fits-all in terms of ministry, we also need to lose the expectation that ministry is one and done. Like, uh, you know, because people take time. People take time, people need time. Now, let me, I need to say an important qualification to that. If you are cheating on your wife, abusing your kids, stealing from your job, you need to stop it right now. Right now. No patience, right? I'm gonna, we're we're going to work with you patiently to help you get right on track, but there's some things that have to stop now. And if you're, if you're dealing with somebody in those, some of those kinds of situations, you, uh, sometimes we, we need to demand that, uh, again, to the extent that we can do that with God's authority. But in so many cases, so many more cases that I'm afraid that we, we come in demanding that they stop. Well, like, okay, wait a minute. You need to be prepared for the fact that you just can't admonish somebody and be done with it. You know, I encouraged them last week. What's their problem? You know, 
What? They should be, they should feel better by now. They should be encouraged. I gave them a verse. Uh, you know, uh, I helped, I you know I helped you last week. Come on. And, or, or this is a famous one for pastors. Like, I can't believe these people. I preached on that three years ago. Like, weren't they, weren't they listening? We need to be patient with people because people need time. Discipleship takes time. Sanctification, uh, growing in holiness takes time. It's a process. Patience is an expression of grace. 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Or the same idea, Romans 2, 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, both of those verses, God's patience for the sake of our repentance. Both of those verses tell us that God, when God is patient with us, it's not because he is a passive parent. Yes, day. Maybe y'all do what you want. No. He's giving us time to repent. Not just time to keep on sinning. Patience to, oh, you just, you know, enjoy yourself. No, time. He gives us time. He's patient with us to give us time to turn from our sin and back to him. And here's the thing. If he did that to you, if he did that for you, can't you do that for other people? Can't you give people time? Yes, naming sin as sin. When things need to stop, they need to stop. But can't, you be, can't we be patient with one another because God's been patient with us? When you give people time, what, there's something else. What are you saying them to, to them? You're saying, I am committed to you. It's a real covenant relationship, whether in a church, marriage, whatever. When you give people time, as opposed to, you know, I, you're, you're having these problems, and I said, you know, I think this is what's going on, and here's some, you know, maybe some truth from God's word, and, and then, you're, and then they're, they're, it seems like nothing's changed. When you continue to walk with them, in truth and love, you're saying, I am committed to you. It's grace. It's covenant. I'm committed to you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I will not give up on you. We're family. Build up your brothers with what each one needs to be growing in Christ. Are you able to give and receive this kind of ministry? You need to be physically present and spiritually sensitive. I, I keep talking about being physically present because we're all kind of getting back into, yeah, being at church regularly. Yeah, yes. Being at church faithfully. Being at church consistently. Yes. It's, I mean, we're, we're, getting, we're, we're getting there. Um, and I'm walking this line of pay, patience and let's go, right? And so, like admonishing and patient. But hear me say, if we're going to do what this says, if we're going to obey God's word in this, in the life of the church, you've got to be here. You've got to be with other people. 
You've got to be with other people physically and spiritually. You need to be sensitive and caring toward one another. Bold enough to speak, brave enough to listen when somebody is saying something to you that you don't want to hear, discerning enough to know what should be left unsaid, discerning enough to, to let criticism that maybe is unfair, just let that fall away. Wise enough when to use scripture like a hammer, scalpel, or cool drink of water. For the last part of the sermon this morning, I want to get to, I'm going to go back and pick up that one line at the end of verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves and then connect that with verse 15. Uh, read verse 15 with me. Um, I'll read it. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So, one another means we're still looking within the church, and, but it's beyond, to everyone. This is part three. Pursue peace, not payback, with other Christians and with everyone. So that, that one sentence, be at peace among yourselves. It comes between those verses about admonishing, confronting sin, and, you know, working together to care for those who are, you know, idle, faint-hearted, weak. It's like Paul knows that tensions are going to come from this. It is not just always going to be, oh, I'd like, I thought I'd point out something in your life. Oh, thank you for doing that. That'll be great. I'd like to, I'd like to really work on my, you know. No, it's, just, it's not going to just all be smooth. Uh, there's going to be, their tensions will come. Strain on our family relationship as we do the messy work of sometimes in the role of parenting, shepherding, caring, and just growing uh, in the Christian faith. Some of the conflicts that we have in church are the ordinary kind that come in any relationship. One of the things that, that Katie and I tell couples who are preparing for marriage, if you get in an argument, don't panic. I mean, I know you, you're thinking, but we're in love, and it's, it's just supposed to be sweet and, and peaceful and, and wonderful, and like, but, but you will have arguments. And when that happens, you don't, don't freak out. It's, this is normal. Um, what makes the difference is how you will work through those disagreements, which is why I named one of the sessions that we have with this couple's how to have a good fight. You're going to have them. Let's have a good fight, not a bad one, right? Um, for, first, you have to recognize the source of the conflict. And we have to admit that many of our fights come from our sins. Let's, we, we need to acknowledge that. Yes, my selfishness, your laziness, his foolishness, her stubbornness, not just talking about in marriage, true in the church. But some of our conflicts come just because we are humans who see things differently, who see things imperfectly. We have different perspectives. We have things that, that kind of jump out to us and other people see some of a different perspective or other things are, seem more important to them. And, and we're, we're just humans that are trying to live and work together and there are going to be conflicts. That's why even in the best of marriages, the best of families, the best of churches, we'll have some disagreements, some arguments, some conflicts now and then. That's normal. The difference is how do we work through them? Whether or not we were going to work through them in a way that honors God, by the way that we speak to one another, not demeaning, not insulting, not, you know, uh, you know playing dirty, but in a way that reflects the gospel in the way that we are quick to confess, ready to repent, eager to forgive. 
That's, that's just a gospel way of having a good fight or better to resolve the conflicts that we have. So Paul, Paul could be saying to these, yeah, I, know, I know it's going to be really easy to take offense when you're being admonished, but remember, if, you're, if your pastor is doing it right, he's just doing his job, or your brother and sister, they, lo- you know, they love you, you know that, when they're coming to you with this. Uh, your, your brother and sister, they don't want you to self-destruct, they don't want you to, to, to walk away from Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's true, elders, you could be frustrated when you, that you have to deal with ornery Christians, brothers and sisters. You might think, oh, my, these, this person should know better. They're, they've been a believer a long time. They should know better than this. Uh, but, but, folks, this is that work of dealing with one another. It's not a hassle. It's, it's the privilege and hard work of family, of living in gospel community. They are God's children. You are family. Be patient with them all. Be at peace among yourselves. But instead of being at peace, so often we go to war. And in war, what happens? This is what we see in verse 15. We're always trying to retaliate back and forth, repaying, returning evil for evil. In a, in a situation of ad, ad, admonition, uh, this might sound like, uh, oh, oh, you're going to point out my sin as if you're perfect? I, uh, what about all, all the things you've messed up? Uh, I, could, I could point out a few things about you I don't like. And then, and then the bullets start flying, right? And it's easy for both sides, even with, if one side came with good intentions, both sides go wrong. Well, excuse me for caring. I guess this shows your issues are deeper than I thought. And now the evil is flying back and forth. One shot fired, return fire. One shot fired, bigger shot from the other side. Retaliation and escalation. But it has to stop. Has to stop. At some point, somebody, one side or the other, is going to have to be the one that says, Wait, we can't go on like this. One side or other is going to have to say, uh, not just, I surrender, you're right. Well, not, not, not that kind of, that's, that's just, that, that's passive-aggressive baloney. No, okay. no you, you're not surrendering. You're just like, oh. no, to say, wait a minute, we got to work this out. This is crazy. We're killing each other here. We've got to work this out. Or to, to, to put it in terms of, a lengthier passage that Paul gives on this, words that are good for us to hear in this context, Romans 12, 17 to 21, where he says, Paul writes to the Roman believers, repay, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. So, not, I don't get to say, vengeance is mine. I will repay. No, Lord says that. To the contrary, how do we act? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's the last verse here, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Same way he wraps up here, uh, the, the end of verse 15. But always, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Why do we retaliate? Why do we try to pay back evil for evil? This is profound. This is something else we're going to get at in our Sunday school class. We have, God has made us, I believe, with a deep, profound sense of justice. I mean, that's just, that's just baked in. I mean, kids, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to teach kids about justice if, if they know what's fair with their toys, and they also have this instinct, and this is a fallen instinct. So we have the, we have the God-given good instinct for justice, and we've got a very fallen sin nature that misapplies it. So the classic, he hit me first. Like, why, why did you hit him? He hit me first. Justice! Right? It's, that's all it is. It's just justice. Why'd you hit him? He hit me first. Justice. That's why we have the instinct for retaliation. And why? And why it goes wrong so badly, so quickly. We think payback is going to even the score. Justice. But for real victory, you overcome evil with good. Not retaliating, not paying back evil for evil. Some things are better than justice, and understood as simply fairness. He hit me, I'm going to hit him back. Some things are better than that when you overcome evil with good. How's that for payback? A di- completely different kind of payback. Overcome evil with good. Folks, we need a lot more of that, and we need a lot more of Christians doing that to show a world that only thinks in terms of a a very cold and bitter kind of justice. Evil for evil. Overcome evil with good. As he says here, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. To everyone. To everyone. So so not even just to Christians, other, other people in the family, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, everyone. Now it should be should be easier in the church if we're all committed to Christ, all committed to grace, all committed to forgiveness, all committed to, to, uh, to renouncing sin and, and to embracing Christ. It should be easier to do good to everyone, to not repay evil for evil, to be at peace among ourselves. Uh, but here's where it gets a little crazy, where it gets a little dangerous. We're called to be gospel people toward people who are not gospel people. who are not committed in the same way as we are to grace, to forgiveness, to mercy, to the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, they may be, they, your neighbor, your co-worker, uh, somebody else, classmate, who has done you wrong, who has started, who, they started it. Okay, somebody, whoever they are, they may be the one who fired the first shot. They may sin against you in anger, selfishness, prejudice, gossip, whatever, you name it. But here's the deal. Don't repay them evil for evil. Somebody stabs you in the back. That's not time for you to plot your revenge. And I'm talking about this not just in, you know, junior high relationship drama or something like that. Talk about the office 
or in, in, in business, in politics, uh, like government or just office politics. Or you're, it's something, something they do you wrong, ho, 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 they don't know who they're dealing with. No. No. It's not who you are. You do not repay evil for evil. You overcome evil with good. If you repay evil for evil, you are in the gutter with them. Can't do that. Can't do that if we're if we're in Christ. We're just totally we've just totally surrendered everything that we that we hold dear. We totally surrendered the opportunity to to lift up Jesus when we get down in the gutter with other people in those kind of fights. We overcome evil not by bringing more evil. We overcome evil with good. That's what grace is. That's what they really need. They don't need more evil. They need what's good. They need God's grace. So just imagine, what if, what if when you finally had that opportunity to, to share the gospel with a neighbor or with a coworker, and they say something like, you know, I think I get, I, I didn't, you know, a lot of I don't understand, never understood about the Bible, but I think I, I think I understand what you mean by God's grace because of all the ways you've been like weirdly kind and generous and nice with me when I was really a jerk to you. I didn't deserve, I, I would, every, everybody else would have, have just been a jerk right back to me. You were different. And I think it helps me understand what it means for God to be gracious to us. And you could say, oh, that's right. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else. I, I needed God's grace. I needed God's forgiveness. And, and that's just what I want for, for you. Pursue peace, not payback, with other Christians and with everyone. This is, this is way better than just, you know, go along to get along. This is speaking truth in love and working for peace and unity in the body of people coming together. It's about following Christ together. May God preserve us and help us as we do this in his name. Lord, we... We would never claim to be a perfect church, but I, I, I am thankful that we have been spared uh, some of the uh, pain and the hurt and division that has happened elsewhere. Lord, to, it's not because we've never had disagreements or divisions or, or sin in this congregation. That's very true uh, and abundantly clear. But God, would you continue to sustain us with your grace and for your grace? With your grace, Lord, giving us patience, your patience to be able to work through the, the many issues that we have, the many sins and struggles. And would you help us to give that same grace and patience to one another? Um, Lord, because it, it really is important that we keep following Christ together. 
We need each other. And we all need you. Keep us in your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.